Hey there, Three Song Story listeners. Uh, Richard Chinqui here with Mike Canary. And we're here in pledge at the station that we work, and we're just asking if you have the opportunity to give a little bit of money towards WGCU, you'll be helping to fund programming like Three Song Stories here at our station. Yeah, we've uh, got a lot of great episodes coming out. We're really happy about this one uh, that you're going to hear in just a minute. Um, but we've said this before. Uh, we get to do this here at WGCU on the edges of our normal day jobs. Richard does things. I do things. Things. We get to do three song stories and use this great facility. But that's only because people support WGCU and public broadcasting. So if you can do that, you can call this number, 1-800-533-9428, or there's other ways you can do it as well. Yeah, you can give online uh, at WGCU.org, or you can download the WGCU app and give right through that. It's really fast. And uh, maybe you listen to public radio where you are if you're not in southwest Florida, or maybe you've never done something like this, like a pledge drive. Um, it's, it's just an opportunity to think about how much the content is worth to you and then give that amount. So, you know, if you listen to Three Song Stories all the time or you really like it or maybe somebody who you know and love was on it once and you enjoyed that, um, you know, if you can do $10, $15, $20, if you can do $10 a month, if you could do $100, whatever the amount you think that that's worth out there in the universe because of our show, then uh, write that number down, give us a call or uh, go to the website and punch that in. Uh, And most importantly, keep listening. One, two, Three. Welcome to Three Song Stories, the podcast that leverages the bonds formed between music and memory to create bonds between our guests and you. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike Canary. Our guest today is Sam Walsh. Sam is a Fort Myers native who grew up up the road in Sarasota. In his 57 years so far on this planet, Sam says he's bounced between agricultural work, web design, stand-up comedy, teaching, and now he's the director of Florida Gulf Coast University's Cannabis Career Initiative. Yeah, we've got one of those here. Sam is married to fellow FGCU professor Dr. Mary Walsh, who still demands that he call her doctor. They have two wonderful children, Sam, who is 17, and Anna, who's 14, and they just celebrated their 23rd anniversary by seeing the Book of Mormon on Broadway. Sam also teaches classes on comedy, cannabis, drug policy, and the apocalypse, which is, I think, where we're going to have to start. So here we go. Hey there, Sam. Hey, Mike. How's it you doing? Uh, uh, the apocalypse and apocalypse. Where are we going with that? You know, we've had a battle whether it's apocalypses or apocalypse, but we look <laughs> at a bunch of them. Uh, this is a, ta- a class we've been teaching now. We're coming on 10 years. It's been uh, four of us, then it went to five of us with uh, Miles Mancini, Dr. Eric Otto, uh, Drew Wilkinson, and now Roberto uh, Garcia and uh, MC Gayoso is joining us now. But it's been this mass lecture class. We teach all the different apocalypse. I look at uh, nuclear war. Eric looks at a lot of times we look at a computer. Singularity uh, and Miles, of course, goes for the zombie apocalypse at the end. Well, that's really cool. It's By a the trip way, of a class. Apocalypses. Apocalypses. Oh, sorry, sorry. Thank you, data collector. Yeah. Although, <laughs> although, I mean, if we're being pedantic, you can only have the one. <laughs> True, but by the true definition of apocalypse is change, not destruction. All right. Um, Okay. Um, uh, Agricultural work. What was that all about? And if you grew up here in southwest Florida, yeah, what was that? Uh, My dad uh, was a radiologist who in his spare time, like most doctors, went out and worked more. That was his thing. So instead of having like cars or other kind of hobbies, my dad would would – by orange groves. And then the family oh. would work in the orange grove, which was not my dream. Uh, so growing up as a kid from maybe like age six till I left for a college, you know, every Saturday, every Sunday, sometimes during the week, if we had a holiday, we were out in the grove working and working that grove and hating every second. Pulling weeds and trimming and uh, sour orange. If, if any citrus people out there know what I'm talking about, but sour orange, orange trees every once in a while will go back and we'll have like this, this mutant branch come out of them. This is this giant, huge spikes and weird mutant mm-hmm. fruits called sour orange. And if you let it go, it'll take over the entire tree. It'll go back to its native state, which is that kind of state. It was built on our, – our oranges were built on sour orange stock right? Or something lemon like that. Le- yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. if you take a take an orange, uh, you know, buy it in a store, you take the seed out and plant it, you'll get a sour orange tree. 
And it's these nasty spikes. They're like three inches long and, and they stab you and they put citrus acid. It was a nasty word. Then fire ants too. So. Yeah, yeah. Florida citrus is wonderful work, kids. Go out and do it if you get a chance. <laughs> it's funny. I have uh, the house I live in when I moved in, there was an orange tree in the yard and I yeah. collected all these oranges and I made this orange juice and it was horrible. It was a sour orange It was yeah. a sour orange tree that oh. just had grown up there. Um, so you were born in Fort Myers, mm. but you grew up in Sarasota. Right. My parents uh, were down here. They got down here, I think, in January, and uh, I was born in September, and by December, they had moved up to Sarasota and just had enough of Fort Myers. <laughs> okay. And so uh, what, was life like, what was life like growing up in Sarasota? What was happening musically? Interesting, because uh, growing up there when I was a kid, I was, uh, you know, I was involved in band and the music program all the way through, and, and the, one, of the, one of the most interesting musical experiences for me is, is in high school, I played bagpipes. Really? Yeah, the Riverview High School Kilty Band, uh, full Scottish uh, battle Kilty. uniform, the kilt, the works. Really? Yeah, and uh, all woolen and lovely in summer to march around in the, in the summer and that stupid. What high school was that? Uh, Riverview High School. Riverview High yeah. School. I remember playing them uh, in golf because I played for Fort Myers. Uh, Sarasota Riverview, we called them. Didn't do a lot of marching band stuff at golf tournaments. Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. See you there. So, what about like around the house? Was your was your dad a, a musically inclined, inclined, inclined person? Interesting. My dad was, but he was uh, he was much more inclined towards classical. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's funny because my dad, you know, he grew up. My my grandfather was a butcher, and my dad grew up kind of hunting and fishing all that rural Pennsylvania. And so, uh, you know, he he loved classical music. Was not interested in jazz, most of anything else. Big band music, somewhat, but uh, you know, really a lot of classical music around the house. Although my dad had a really wide range of, of music knowledge and stuff. But the only, the first record I can remember listening to as a kid was uh, Harry Belafonte. Hmm. Uh, his first one, I think, it was Calypso. I think whatever first one it had, Deo, with all the great stuff on it. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. That's the first one I remember. I, I remember like putting on the stereo, waiting for the tubes to warm up as like a five year old sneaking a record in. And stuff, yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. What about uh, uh, music being played around you? You wound up playing bagpipes at Riverview, but was there music being played around the house by relatives? Uh, you know, not so much. My brother played guitar and sang. My brother uh, was really good on guitar. I. You know, I went to um, public school, and at that time, the public school music programs were great. So starting at like sixth grade, I played violin, learned how to play violin. I was one of those people that never went really deep on something, always like wide range yeah, on yeah. stuff. Uh, and so then I hit uh, junior high, and I played French horn for two years and then played oboe a year after that and then uh, played bagpipes after that. Uh, and during that time also, I'd, I'd built – I started building musical instruments. I built dulcimers and all folk instruments. Really? Yeah. I went to summer camp, which I was like something you did in summer camp. You built dulcimers. Built dulcimers and, and folk music. I yeah. hadn't heard of that summer camp. Oh, Camp Chimney Rock. <laughs> if you watch Dirty Dancing, it's where they film Dirty Dancing, the, the camp really? scenes in there. Yeah, that's my old summer camp. Nobody yeah. keeps Sam in the corner. No kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Did that for many years. It was a trip. Beautiful area in North Carolina. But it was it was it was the typical summer camp thing. It was all hippies. There were art camp counselors. We learned every Peter Paul and Mary and Bob Dylan song known to man. Is that when that kind of music came into your life or big time, yeah. I would really say summer camp is when I really, really got into folk music, which has big always been a big influence in my life. Did any of the musical instruments that you played stick around into adulthood? Did you ever yeah. play like bagpipes out doing stand up comedy? <laughs> no, I actually I, I did uh, I used to play harmonica a lot, did doing stand up comedy, play that I I work with an improv group and we would do, you know, improv songs and stuff, do like uh, just really bad blues songs. Hmm. Uh, So how'd you wind up back in Fort Myers? At what point did that happen? Uh, You know, I was at Penn State with my wife and I was uh, was directing a web program and the web bubble had burst. Uh, Academia took them a year to finally get to academia, but the web bubble had really burst and and it was a choice of going, "Mm." My current contract wasn't continued. Do I do a – The web bubble meaning the internet web bubble? The internet, bubble? the internet web bubble. So we're talking like late 90s then? Uh, this is about 2002, okay. 2003. Okay. okay, Took a while for it to hit academia. Understood. You know? OK, cool. Uh, and so I knew my – you know, I, I was running the, the webmaster program around the state. I knew this wasn't going to last. There was no market for it. And so I was like, do I stay at Penn State? Do I stay here? My wife was finishing up her dissertation. I was like – yeah, not another winter. I, you know, I've had I've had ten years of, of Pennsylvania winters. I can't take another one. So we uh, we came down to visit my parents up in, in still live in Sarasota, and we heard about there's this new university down here. So we came down here. This was '97, I believe, and we toured around. There wasn't much here. We're like, whoa, there's going to be a university here. We can actually come down and and live back in Florida and, and keep our academic jobs. And so. 2003, when the contract finally went out, Mary and I were both like, we're gone. You know, let's, let's hop in. Uh, we, we applied for jobs here. We got turned down. And then on the way down, we got a call from Maria Rock and she hired us both on the spot. Really? Yeah. So you're founding faculty. 
Not or really. Near, 2003. Near, yeah, t- okay, 2003. Second wave, second wave of faculty. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and you've been here ever since? Yeah. Where did the stand-up comedy fit into the arc? <laughs> this is actually when uh, I you know, graduated from college, and this gets into the first song, um, just kind of lost. You know, what the hell I do? And I had uh, – I went on to – if you want, I'll get into the, the intro of the first song. Sure. This, let's, this, head, let's head on this, down that road. This takes you right into there. Uh, I, you know, I graduated from college and I, had, I was on the speech and debate team. And I was actually president of the University of Florida speech and debate team. I loved it. Did it for years. Just loved it. And that was every weekend going to a college somewhere, driving 14 hours in a rental car with a bunch of kids and uh, doing speeches over and over and over again and judged and all that and then doing that competition and great training. Uh, and when I graduated from college, I, I graduated from – University of Florida in uh, oh eighty three December of eighty three, no idea what I was going to do. I was like, oh, shit. two weeks before I, grad- I was going to graduate, it's like, oh god, I'm going to graduate. I, what the yeah, hell am I going to do? I have do? to make an actual decision yeah. about life. Oh crap! <laughs> so uh, I did what you know, the path of least resistance. I, I just uh, started calling around grad schools, and University of Maryland had an opening. You know, somebody just dropped out. Boom! Went right in. You know, two weeks later, I'm packing up my uh, my Volkswagen Rabbit and off to off to DC. One of the worst decisions of my life, right? I'm saying, just was not prepared whatsoever for and the academic rigor that it required. That or? and just being an adult, it was just uh, okay. I'm completely out of my element. I'd never lived in in outside of Florida before. Now I'm, you know, I'm just putting myself. Uh, I pulled into town, into D.C., you know, in College Park, Maryland, thinking, oh, just like I did when I was in Gainesville. I'll just I'll just drive, find an apartment building, and move in that day. Put down a deposit, cash, yeah, you're done. Yeah. I had never heard of the oh credit check and things like that. So a couple of days are going by. I can't get into a place. I've got all my stuff in my car. I'm living in a hotel. So it's just like ah screw it. I found a, like a a guy that was renting rooms out of like the upper floor of a house. Could move in right away. Boom, moved in that day. And you know, started college. You know, not a great living situation, knowing nobody there, and just just lost. Where he's like, "Oh my God, they take this seriously." I hadn't taken school that seriously up yeah. to this point. They're taking this seriously. Uh, and so I got to the point where the semester just going downhill quickly. I realized this was a bad decision. My first adult decision. I had it up really bad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so uh, getting towards there's like. Two weeks left in the semester, and and I know I'm going to fail all but one class. It, it's with certainty. There's it's no certainty. no pulling out of this dive. It's too late. And I go well. There's one class I can just I can save this one class. And my parents had a house in Winchester, Virginia, it was about 50 miles away. And this was God. This was uh, April, the end of April, and they wanted me to go over and check on it, and make sure that it made it through the winter. So, uh, you know, I was working on. I had a final paper due in a, in a final coming of this class. I was just like, so I said, oh, screw it. I'm going to go take a couple hours, run over there, come back, check their house and get back to work. So I get over there and a pipe had burst. And so I had to wait for the plumbers to get there. By the time everything got fixed, it was nighttime. I was like, oh, screw it. I'll just, I'll just stay here. I'll, I'll drive back to my place over there. Snows overnight. Weird, you know, weird late snow. And it was about four or five inches. The problem is my, my parents' house was down a mountain. So there's no way I was getting out yeah, of there. Yeah, you were, you were trapped at their, at their place. Oh, man. And um, – and you couldn't like log into your computer to no, do your work no, remotely. No such thing at this time. <laughs> yeah. uh, and because of the snow, the phones were out, the power went out, so there's no hot water. Uh, it was just, and I was stuck there for like three days. I remember. I said, "Oh," and uh, and the only thing there, there was some food, like you know, typical old people food. My my folks had like you know, like cheese and crackers, you know, that kind of crap everywhere. So I remember living on that, and they had a fully stocked uh, liquor cabinet. So lived on I, that too. I was just <laughs> drunk the entire time, bored out of my mind. By the second day, I remember sitting in front of the fireplace, uh, just doing shots of booze and blowing them into the fireplace to watch it spark <laughs> up. That's how bored I was, and just realized, going, "Oh my god, I I'm not going to get back there. I'm I'm gonna, you know, I'm not going to finish this paper. I'm not going to finish. I'm not going to take the final because it's gone. I can't call, which means you're going to fail all the classes. I failed everything. It's complete, absolute disaster. Like what the. F- am I going to do? And one of the things that was happening is, is I was doing this research project on um, anti-drug programs and the National Institute of Health in, in Rockville, Maryland had, had all the great research on it. So for days on days on end, weeks on end, I would drive back and forth to Rockville, Maryland every day. It just drove me. You know, in, in D.C. traffic is awful. Have you ever been in D.C.? I have. Uh, I have you know, indeed. You, you get lost, number one, immediately. That's the first thing. But just uh, the traffic is miserable. Just Those roads it. make no sense. None. 
and so here I am just sitting just – you know, I, I had a Walkman at those times. It's probably a Panasonic knockoff Walkman and just drunk, bored out of my mind, just at desperate end going, what the hell am I going to do? This is my first, first big adult thing and I have screwed it up so bad it's beyond belief. Uh, and just listen to music and that R.E.M. song came on, Don't Go Back to Rockville. And I was like, thought about it for a second went, yeah, f- yeah, what, what am I doing? What, why am I torturing myself like this? Pack it in. Bad decision. Pack it in. Take some time off. Take, uh, you know, just, just, just uh, get out of here. Go back. Went back and moved back to Gainesville and uh, I, got, I got hired teaching and, and coaching um, the debate team and teaching. So I had money to get by. And it's just like, you know, just take a year off and figure out what you want to do. And it, during that time, sometime at a party, some guy told me, said, you know what? You should be a stand-up comic. And it stopped for a second. I went, you know, that's not a bad idea. It's kind of what I've trained for. Uh, and they had an open mic in town uh, that next week. I went there, got hired immediately to be to be like the house MC for the next thing. And then, you Do know. Do you know what the place was called? Uh, it was Tailgaters. It's long gone. It was right across from the library in, in that UF Plaza. I don't uh-huh. You know, you have this, that two-story. Hide and Zeke's. Remember Hide and Zeke's? Uh, I don't. Okay. I, it was, I, it was I do know there. where the library is. Yeah. Though, so. Directly across was that big uh, two-story like UF Plaza. Cafe Gardens was around there. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, it, was, it was upstairs in there. Little bar, but it was great because like every week I had my own show. I had my own following and it was kind of fun. Uh, and so I you know, got uh, Sticklets Gum was doing this comedy competition where they would come to town and they said, hey, starring Larry Bud Melman. I do. Yeah. Way yeah, yeah. back. And so uh, tried out for it and, and was one of the finalists, was the national finalist for this. And so it, was, it took place in uh, Daytona Beach, 1987. I remember well. One of the other finalists was uh, Judd Apatow. Huh. Young Judd hung out with him when he was 19 years old. Uh, just crazy kid back then. Uh, and so you know the, the whole contest was disaster. But just hanging out in, in the background and being there and going, hmm – this is a possibility. People, this is this is a living. You know, I'd, I'd never even growing up in my little sheltered suburban life, I never thought, oh, people do this for real. People, yeah, yeah, people are in show business. I, I could be one of them. Yeah, it's funny because my babysitters when I was a kid were two of the flying Walendas, so I, I knew lots of show people huh. from Sarasota. I was going to say because yeah, the Sarasota, yeah. there's the the, the Carneyville up there yeah. somewhere. Uh, yeah, uh, Gibsonville. Yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, the Walendas are all through Sarasota, and two of the original uh, Seven Man Pyramid, uh, Edith and Herman, were were our babysitters. And so I knew lots of show people, but I just never put it together. You could actually do this for a living. Uh, and so I, you know, I, I left Gainesville. I, I called uh, the first agent I could find to try to book work and, you know, started out. It was just awful for a long time. <laughs> but I was able to score a, a, uh, a house MC gig in, in Sarasota. And so I, uh, you know, I, I did that for a couple of months. I Forget how long, and then I just started going out, getting more and more road gigs. And after a while, I was just full time on the road, uh, till I finally said, "Enough, <laughs> I've had enough of this." Hmm. And it all started because of the uh, REM song, which puts you off on the different track. Just said, "Stop what you're doing, take a year off, figure out. Don't, don't just take the path of least resistance." Hmm. Uh, let's listen to it then. This is uh, okay. "Don't Go Back to Rockville" by REM from their 1984 album Reckoning. You got the idea if they're talking about the same Rockville? <laughs> I had no idea. I had no idea of that song, but uh, it, it hit all the notes at the right I time. I can tell. Wow. Absolutely. Yeah. What's it feel like to listen to it now, having wow. all these years later and knowing the, the impact it had? It's funny because you look back at these things, and I'm sure probably everybody had this soul-searching moment as they went through these songs, and you think about, would I change anything? You know, if I look back now, I go, nah, I'd probably do the same painful, stupid things again because it led some good results. But, phew, rather not have had to go through them at the moment. Uh, real quick aside, my first year at University of Central Florida, I was a National Merit Scholar. I got three Fs and a D. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, that first that first paper you get backwards, not you're great. I got there. I was like, oh wow. I yeah, I got halfway through the semester and realized I hadn't really gone to class yet, and by then it was too late. So I totally feel your yeah. pain. It wasn't graduate school though, but it was like I lost a scholar. I lost a four year scholarship right. for goodness' sake. But you know, it turned out okay in the end. Um, have you been back to that Rockville since? No, I haven't. Uh, God, I haven't. I don't think I've been back. To, I haven't been back to DC since. Then, I think. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah, my parents sold their place in Winchester many years ago. So hmm. kind of back since I lived in Pennsylvania. It's been, uh, what about a uh, stand up comedy? When was the last time you did that? Well, you know, I, I I left the road when I went to Penn State in grad school. So that was ninety three. I went to grad school, but I uh, 
I did a couple of roasts here on campus, and so did a little bit of stand up here and there. But it's one of those things: once you either do it or you don't. Sure. Yeah. If you in most most stand ups, you take more than a week off. You're starting to lose your edge. You really got to keep doing it constantly. So I knew once I left the road, like that was it. You know, either you do it or you don't. Do you think that uh, anything that you learned during that time is being applied now as a professor, as a person who is teaching people in front of crowds, that sort of thing? Oh, definitely. I you know I taught public speaking for for many years. Uh, and and I still really form most of my way of teaching public speaking around being a stand-up and with a real philosophy of going, you know what? Reading a book and taking tests and all that are not going to make you a better speaker. What makes you a better speaker is getting up there and doing it. So my classes were always like speeches are the only things that count. There's no book. There's no textbook. Here are the speeches. Here's how to do it. Here's how to work a crowd. You know, here's how to you know certain things like the rule of three, which is all the way through stand-up comedy. Here's how to structure your opener, your closer. Get an effect. You know, just don't walk through a speech just to get through with it. Get up there and, and make something happen. And you can. Hmm. Uh, and I, I tell the story to my students is good. You know, one time I was I was working as administrator at Penn State, and they had a, one of the campuses that had just had a bad experience, and one of the students was irate, and they had written to the the president of the university and the the senate president of, of Pennsylvania, and and the governor and everybody else. So I had to go down there and try to quell this rebellion of students. And my supervisor went with me, and I I did like an hour long presentation. And because of being a stand up, I was working the crowd, making jokes and all that. Got done. Everybody was happy. They were glad with the deal we. Gave gave them. And the next day I got an $8,000 raise. So oh. I tell students going, you can learn all you want, but if you can stand in front of a group of people and, and get the effect you want, you've got a skill that they can't be taken away. Give us a good crowd breaker, good icebreaker. <laughs> Give us a good, like I'm starting a speech in front of a group of people God. and I want to get their attention in a way that isn't obvious. It depends. You know, I, uh, <laughs> One of the things you always do with stand-up is you always try to say what's the first impression the audience forms of you and then you make a joke of that. So at the time when I was a stand-up, I used to have really long hair. Uh, but I was bald on top and I had really long hair. So I used to joke that I looked like Ben Franklin on acid. It's got a great joke. Or, or uh, now it's like, you know, how many people think Mr. Clean's had a bad day or things like that? Just, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, REM, uh, would they still fit into your listening uh, uh, oh, experience yeah. these days? All the time. My favorite uh, concert that I ever went to actually was REM. It was in Gainesville. It was a free concert. And huge band shells were all out there on blankets and everything. And they played, you know, the regular set. This is probably – this would be 86 maybe. Uh, they played their regular set and then uh, they started playing this weird just kind of experimental jazz fusion kind of crap. And half the crowd got up and left. And after they kept going and by the time they were done with the set, uh, probably three-quarters of the crowd had left. There, there are 30 of us still there because we're too stoned to leave. And they go, OK, we got rid of the Fairweather fans. Now let's play. And they did like a two-hour concert after that. that they the scared group. everybody off with well, the, said, on purpose? Yeah. They said, hey, if you're going to come here for free, we don't want you. So they played this crap to get rid of test. Them. Oh, my God. And they played this killer set and did like King of the Road and all this weird stuff. And it was just one of the best sets I've ever seen. Going, That took balls man, to do that. Um, so where does music fit into your life as, oh, a, wow. uh, as, a, as a grown-up human being now these days? Wow, it is, is always um, – it is funny just learning how to, to play music I think always gives you such a connection to it that, that it will always be with you no matter what. Uh, but for me, so much music anymore really becomes the soundtrack to videos. I, I find myself – the more video work I do, the more that I just delve back into my childhood and back into being a teenager and going, God, there are all these great songs when I was a kid uh, and just bringing that and bringing them forth. And sometimes uh, I, I always make this joke that – when you leave college, if you stop reading Rolling Stone for a week, you're lost after that. You have no yeah. idea what's happening in popular music. Uh, and so years and years and years and years ago, I realized I, I have no idea what's happening in the world of music, popular music right now. I don't even try to fake it. Uh, and so every, every once in a while, I'll get introduced to, to new music and it will be just such a delight because I, I tend just to listen to the same stuff over and over again. Uh, and then the next one, when I turned 40, I, we were at Penn State and it was my 40th birthday. And Mary got me uh, tickets to uh, see this, what they call the Acoustic Brew Coffee House. Okay. And it was an old yo- old church that had decommissioned and made into a yoga studio. And once a month, they'd bring in these two folk groups. Uh, they'd stay at somebody's house up in State College. And it'd be like a bake sale you paid and they'd play you know, a concert, a folk concert, acoustic concert. And I don't know, okay, go see this. is kind of hippie-ish like my am. And the group was uh, Dave Carter and Tra- Tracy Grammer. I'd never heard of them. And – and their their note their thing was like a, a postmodern mythic fairy tale whatever like, oh god this is kind of pretentious hippy dippy <laughs> yeah <laughs> and like within two notes just loved them just oh just fell in love with them just love their stuff and uh, 
I'm trying to think. Um, well, uh, back when uh, my son was born, I was putting together the birth video and trying to think what would be, you know, what would some would work. And I really thought about the song because, uh, you know, I love the song in general, Arms of Even, because it takes, uh, uh, you know, it takes like Darwinism, Christianity, Gaia worship, and all these other things. And in one stanza, blends them all together. Beat that. Uh, but just such a cool song. Uh, and I used it for the, uh, for the uh, soundtrack, for the birth video for my son. And, God, this was about um, – Probably about eight months later, and this is back in the days of the web when you didn't have YouTube. You put your own stuff up. Sure, I'm yeah. posting this on my own website and everything. And I got an email from this lady in Canada, and she said, "You don't know me. You'll never know me." But I was going around. And I was looking at birth videos on the web. I'm, I'm eight months pregnant. I'm, I'm going to give birth soon. And she said they were scaring the hell out of me because I go and I see these these bloody things. It's screaming. They filmed the actual birth and all that. She says, "She says I was really starting to freak out." So then I came on yours, and it's this nice, gentle music. She says, and I really feel good about it. Thank you. Uh, whoa, you know, beat that as as a as a creator, uh, you know, to do something that you'll never know the person. Yeah, and you help them. Um, well, I want to listen to this in a second, but I want to dig yeah. a little bit more deeply into the video work stuff. So mm. that's just like a hobby of yours, kind of. You know, it's it uh, when I started doing web design, I started getting into video, and that was just at the days when you had that postage stamp video. Oh yeah, it's like two forty p or oh, God, yeah. <laughs> And so, you know, from, from starting from that beginning and really learning from the ground floor, just all about web video, digital video. Um, and as soon as my son, as soon as my uh, wife announced she was pregnant, it was like right to the store to be at a digital camera. Uh, and really just had some fun with that. But like anything else for me, yeah, I think things, I think of a joke first and then I think of it straight. So when it comes to like film something, the first thing I'll think of is all the jokes to put in. They'll go, okay, well, here's the straight narration. And I've noticed over the years that that's just the way I think. That in any situation, my first thought is a joke and then I had to back it up. And go, okay, how do I say that normally so people will understand it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so my video work and, and so much of this work I did in stand-up comedy as far as timing and things like that and, and you know, knowing how to juxtaposition things just all comes into play for me. And it's just fun once again going, here's something I can do to make people laugh. Do you have a, a YouTube account now? I do. I don't put much up. You know, the last stuff I put up was the uh, roast of Maria Rocca. I've got the videos from that. I'll have to watch uh, that. Maria did something great. Glenn Whitehouse does a great stand-up bit in that. And, uh, you know, I did a bit in that, and it, it was really fun. Uh, is your uh, your son's birth video uh, available streaming anywhere on the internet or on a website these days? I would think so. I, you know, I took all my kids' stuff down because I started getting these rude comments, to be honest with you, and it just freaked me out so much, uh, especially in the days when you're doing it all yourself and it's time yeah. to your home account. It was like, well, that's funny. I was going to say earlier that you got that nice, kind comment. But we live in a world now, YouTube, it's like filled with just vitriol. and. Uh, well, what's that? It was, it was just like, hey, do you have some more pictures of your son? Blah, blah, blah. Like, whoa, just just pedophiles coming out of the woodwork. When well, the that ain't cool. No, you know, you don't even think about that. And the first time you see it, it's just like, oh, holy shit. You know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, so my typical response is like, well, pull back. No, <laughs> you know, come off completely. Understood. OK, well, let's listen to this song, uh, uh, Gentle Arms of Eden uh, by Dave Carter and Tracy Grammer. The late Dave Carter, unfortunately, died a couple of months after after we saw him in concert. And so he was supposed to play the Philly Folk Festival. He and Tracy were going to play there. And Mary and I went to go see them. And she sat out in the field. You know, and my son was three months old nursing in a thunderstorm so we could go see him play and see them play. Uh. All right, well, let's listen to it. This is from their 2001 album, Drum Hat Buddha. What a delightful song. Beat that for songwriting. Man, I love that. Yeah. I'm going to have to check out more of them. Love their stuff. The, um, the one line that always got me, uh, my wife's from a really small town in Pennsylvania, and the times I visited there, you always felt like an outsider. You always like, really nasty little place. And they had one song, uh, Ordinary Town, and it was like Jesus coming back to a small town, and they're going, no, 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 we've had enough of you. And uh, the one line was, uh, this is an ordinary town. We crucify our own. <laughs> that was such an amazing lyric. Uh, was it an easy choice to use this song for that video? Yeah, it really, really suits it. I mean, I could, I, I could see how that would all come together. Yeah, just bingo. And just for the, you know, for the opening line that you could mix everything together like that, take every form of belief and make it into a harmonious stanza. Hmm. How can you do that? Yeah. Um, has your son seen the video? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And in, in much embarrassment. I had, <laughs> not, yeah, I had to stop. Uh, both my kids are old enough now. I can't use their videos in class anymore because I had, you know, one of my son, uh, you know, potty training video that I never used it, but I always threatened to. Uh, but I had my daughter 
in public speaking, I, I had this thing of three, uh, the three rules of show business. You know, you start strong, keep it rolling, and, and end big. And it showed I had my daughter, and, and she had a, a like five years old in a dance recital, and she's just eating it left and right. She's up there untapped. She's just falling left and right. And every time, right back up, and at the end, ta-da! You know, huge, huge bow. I mean, that's how you do it. Keep uh-huh. going. You know? Do uh, either of them play music? No, they don't. Both, you know, both went through. But uh, unfortunately, I have to say that the the music system, in public schools, turned them both off music completely. Really, they, they had such a bad experience with it. Yeah, mm. it sad. Uh, my daughter, luckily, she went to Dunbar Middle, really? and they've, they've, there's 1,100 kids in that school, and 350 of them are in the bands. Yeah. And and they love it, and they don't want to leave. They don't want. To, she didn't want eighth grade to end. Right. That was <laughs> that was my uh, that was my high school experience. We had a huge band. We had you know we had two concert bands plus other stuff. You know where my son went to school. Unfortunately, the band leader just got you know arrested for or got just got jailed for pedophilia. Oh he, boy. Yeah, he was at Astero and uh, just just didn't. Didn't gel, and and they're so underfunded and stuff right now. That it's not yeah. what it was, hmm. and so much music anymore. I know with, with our students, I know this all the time. And I know our kids. They don't tell jokes anymore, and they don't uh, interact so much anymore. The joke is, "Hey, look at this video." And I used to have this. I, I teach a comedy class, and if kids come in late, the, the the penalty is you have to tell a joke. That is the the greatest penalty for students right now because they don't know jokes, and they'll sit there and panic in front of class, looking up something and going, "Don't you know a joke?" Nope. I got to go Google it. Huh. Okay. So which is more surprising to you at this point in your life, that you're teaching a college course on comedy or college courses on cannabis? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I thought the comedy thing was, was the greatest thing that I'd gotten away with yet, but then the cannabis thing came <laughs> along. I, I tend to have this habit of, of finding something that I think is going to be a really good goof, and then it turns out to be legitimate, and then i got to see it through now. So. Right, right, right. <laughs> Give us just a, a real quick for the people who might be listening to this outside of our listening area who aren't familiar with what FGC is doing. Just give us the, you know, the two-minute version of what's going on here and how different it is. Yeah. Uh, What's happening really is we are going out and looking at cannabis as a legitimate industry and as a legitimate career for college students. So uh, it's a two-pronged approach. One prong is the one done by Dr. Rosenthal, which is the educational part. So we have a integrated studies uh, bachelor's degree with a cannabis focus. That's, that's how we're uh, painting it now. My side of it is the is the career initiative, and I'm looking at internships, uh, relationships with all the different industries. So you know, coming up in two weeks, I'm flying out to Kentucky to go walk around some hemp fields for a while to see uh, what uh, what hemp could do for Florida, and you know, is it an alternative crop that could work here? So we're really looking in all forces of it. What we're trying to find is our niche in this area because the University of Florida is going to have the agriculture part of it. You know, they've got the the money for research and all that, but there are other parts of it. For example, like construction materials, what you do with the fiber. With, with hemp and other things that are really, you know, that are really strong uh, potentials that haven't been tapped yet. So I think that's the direction we want to go in. My part of it is looking at both the medical and the, you know, uh, eventual recreational use going. This is going to be big business. Coming from the web, we were so naive back in the days, early days of the web. We thought that this wonderful new equalitarian technology, everybody would be treated the same and it would be this wonderful utopia because it was for a little bit. And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden, you know, it became, you know, a really nasty place, a really toxic place to be. And my own opinion is going, let's not do the same thing with the cannabis industry. Let's uh, let's start from the beginning going, hey, we want to produce the next generation of leaders. Let's not just lead this for chance saying, oh, they'll pick up ethics. They'll pick up how to treat people you know, fairly and all that along the way. Let's put together a program that, that makes them just you know, top-notch in, in their field but also good people and they're the next generation of leaders. Hmm. So the world's changed a whole lot in that regard in the past really not has. so many years. It's uh, pretty crazy. I got to tell you this is sort of the, 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 my weekend. This, this is one of those life-changing moments for me uh, that I, I sat in front of my mom. Uh, she came down to visit. My mom was 92 years old. And so I sat in front of my mom for the first time in my 57 years on this planet and did a bong hit in front of my mom. <laughs> I was the bravest thing I ever did in my life. And she passed like, the bong? No, she didn't. But she's, uh, she's like, what's that? I said, it's medical marijuana, mom. She goes, oh, does it help? Said, yeah. Okay, great. <laughs> 57 years of absolutely hiding and not ever letting her see, you know, be, you know, breath mints and everything else. I'd never get caught. Hey, mom, check me out. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, the, that's the world we're in these days. It um, is indeed. Are you a singer? Uh, I mean, I I, uh, I go for the Bob Dylan song where you're very expressive. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I can stay on key, but that's about it. 
talk key, talk in key, kind of. Kind of, yeah. Got any TV theme songs you'd like to sing for us? <laughs> I'm trying to think. It's you not know, a joke question. It is. When I was in junior high, we had a concert and we played the Hogan's Heroes theme. Oh, oh, that's in my brain. And I look back at now going this horrible, hey, let's have fun in a German POW. Oh, oh I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you just want a goose step when you hear it, don't you? <laughs> I, I, I I and my friends in middle school had this strange obsession with that TV show in syndication. So I watched it all the time. Did you? I just saw the news. Uh, the guy that did Thor Ragnarok, I can't pronounce his last name. New Zealand director. Uh, I'm sure Richard's got he, it. He has a new movie coming out called Jojo Rabbit, and it's this kid that goes to Hitler Youth Camp, and he's kind of an outcast. So his imaginary friend is Hitler. It's in, it's in the trailer. Isn't it incredible? <laughs> I October 12th, I think. It's I cannot got, wait. It's got Scarlett Johansson. And Stephen Merchant as a Gestapo. Yeah. Oh, wow. Like, <laughs> it looks incredible. If it's anything like uh, Thor Ragnarok, you go, this is going to be beautiful. Yeah. Mm. Um, I, I, I saw a good description of, um, imagine a Wes Anderson movie, but directed by the guy who did Thor Ragnarok. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, that intrigues me. Yeah. And so we're, all, you know, we're already taking a field trip. <laughs> we're just we're all going to go in mass from the apocalypse class. Ah, uh, from the apocalypse class. You've got an interesting spectrum of things I, yeah. there, Sam Walsh. I've gotten away with some stuff in my life. <laughs> um, so, uh, so you maybe don't do karaoke if, you, no, if no. that's not your thing. Uh, you know, I, once again, because I think in jokes, I tend to sing really dirty karaoke. I've had the mic shut off more than once. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, you know, sometimes you just let flow and, and uh, you go to the dark side. Huh? Uh, <laughs> do you remember the? song that y'all danced to at your wedding oh god we had a polka band in my wedding okay I was born in i, I was married in uh, frackville pennsylvania and so we had a polka band right down from the yingling brewery is where our reception was uh and so god i you know we had polka, i think uh, forever young we we wanted to play wonderful world by sam cook but they didn't know it so i think forever young was the only song they knew modern songs that was our dance song we hadn't put much thought into it by that time okay um <laughs> okay so i'm gonna try to get this right so does dr walsh <laughs> Good. Uh, so where do you guys meet musically the closest and where do you diverge the most you know, I think we're both one of those very eclectic people so that we like all different types of music. Uh, Mary grew up in in really tiny uh, town of Pennsylvania, and she's from Russian origin. So polka in, in polka and Slavic and church music and all that was all through her town. I mean, radio shows were like, you know, it's the Octom Billy polka hour and stuff. Yeah, really. yeah, yeah. Uh, and so, you know, and my background is German, so there was a lot of that, you know, kind of polka music stuff in, in my background. But uh, she didn't have as much experience with folk music as, as I did. And, and so I learned a lot more about church music and stuff from her. But we both have that kind of eclectic taste. Where we wildly vary is on uh, – especially on comedy uh, because, once again, I have a real dark sense of humor. I, I tend to – like most comics go for the really, really dark stuff. And it is not her cup of tea whatsoever. <laughs> gotcha. And a lot of stuff, stilly stuff. Uh, there's, there's been more than once we've been on a family car trip and the, the whole family just, you have to turn this off. We cannot listen to another <laughs> second of like Shaving Cream or some song from the 40s or something. Right, it's right, right. Dirty, you know? uh, y'all ever heard of uh, Those Darn Accordions? No. It's a band that I stumbled across years ago because I got an advanced copy of a CD when I was working at a book slash music store. Oh. It's like a 15-person accordion band. Wow. Well, I've just recently rediscovered on Facebook, they're still around. <laughs> I just they're they're doing shows still to this day, but it's oh, like a fifteen person accordion oh band. And you know they've got their shtick. They're probably great. Oh no, know? they're great. They're Big Lou is their main singer. It's a female <laughs> named Big Lou, and I used to want them as a parting tune not long ago. They do this song about Lawrence Welk, and they redo "The Devil Went Down to Georgia," except oh, it's an accordion man. duel and the whole nine yards. That's what I love about the net is that you can you know there's eclectic stuff that maybe you might find in a record store somewhere. Any day you can come across them going, "This is." exist and people have been following this for a while exactly. it's brand new to me yeah exactly <laughs> um okay it's time for song number three okay wow you know uh it's funny i was talking to lynn milner, milner about you know self-disclosure and all that and she said well I, she wanted to do a story to tell her students like guess what you know we've all f-ed up before we f-ed up really bad before uh and we've made it back and that's so the third part for me was uh mary often says that, I, that I'm Sam 3.0 now, that I've, I've used up two lives already and I'm working on the third one now. Uh, so I had uh, teaching here coming in 2011, uh, had a heart attack 
And, you know, in my wonderful physique, I was probably weighed about 320 pounds. Oh, really? Time. Smoked, drank, all the work. I mean, all the habits I picked up from the road didn't leave. You know, I, I had a pretty serious drinking problem, smoked a pack, two packs a day. You know, most unhealthy person you could be. And so I had a heart attack and then later on was, was coming back from that, went right back to work, which I shouldn't have. I should have taken some time off. And so never fully, really re- fully recovered from that and didn't realize that after heart attacks, uh, one of the things that happens is usually a bout of depression. September that year, uh, my best friend in the whole world died just suddenly, hmm. uh, a scuba accident in Cancun. So if you're going to go, that's a way to do it, but just out of the blue. And it just took me downward, down into a spiral. Um, so by that time, um, you know, I, I had had a drinking problem. Now I had a serious drinking problem, serious depression, really, really hit rock bottom. And it uh, – you know, it, it got to the point that I had a neurological breakdown. I was in the hospital for a couple of days just, you know, having spasms and just uh, twitching and got home and was still drinking, still smoking. And Mary finally, and God bless her, to her credit, did one of the bravest things. She said, get help or get out. And so I got help. And uh, I think when this was, uh, I left. I moved into a hotel for a couple of days to get myself straight. And as I was in that hotel right at that time, Jerry Sandusky happened and being a Penn State uh, alumni and also Mary from Penn State and my whole family, you know, it was real big Penn State supporters. My dad was uh, part of the Mount Nittany Society and all this stuff and just watching that whole thing evaporate in front of me and thinking about all the, the kids and all this going, holy sh-. And from working at Penn State for, for 10 years going, yeah, I know exactly how this happened. I knew that culture very well. Uh, and just sitting there getting straight and once again having probably my, my uh, iPhone or my BlackBerry at this time listening to music and uh, a song that came on that, that uh, really had been one of those picky up songs and the Mary Ellen Carter and went, yep, that's it. You know, get up there, pull yourself together, get up. And did it. Let's listen to it. Okay. Uh, the Mary Ellen Carter by Stan Rogers from his 1979 album Between the Breaks, live. Let's get him the late Stan, Stan Rogers. Rise again. So what's up? What are the feels coming with that through yeah. this lens here now, looking back? Yeah, so bittersweet, but, uh, you know, uh, losing a lot, but... Being, you know, now uh, healthier, stronger than I've ever been. So sometimes you got to lose stuff to, uh, to find yourself. Are you the Mel- Mary Ellen Carter? <laughs> I hope so. Yeah, <laughs> I hope so. Uh, you know, but the one line, um, turn true and sorry. Take time. Sure. Um, Turn to to put out uh, strength of arm and heart and brain. Yeah, that's what it takes. You got to do it all. You got to do the work. But you can't get better, and you can't rise again. When was the last time you listened to that song? Uh, yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do it a lot. Yeah. yeah. But it's one of the songs that always says, yeah, no matter what happens, you can get by it. You can get through it. Um, was that a song that was in your rotation at that point in time in your life? Did it, did you stumble into it at that moment? Did you really uh, play it off your BlackBerry? I did. A friend of mine uh, way back when I was still in Gainesville, I was still uh, living there. <laughs> A friend of mine turned me on to Stan Rogers, and I had, uh, you know, started listening to all the stuff, and that song just automatically went, "Wow, is that a good song?" You know, he died, uh, I think, back in the '90s, might have been the '80s, and the story I heard that uh, a plane crashed, he made it out alive, and he went back for his guitar, and the plane blew up, and that was the end. Of it. But fantastic folk singer, you know, really, really great stuff. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Um, what was your process for this? process. Interesting. I, it's funny because I, I did talk to other people that did it and <clears throat> three songs is – three is always a magic number. We've talked – for comedy, everything runs in the rule of threes. And you know, three is just one of those numbers that it just, it just works perfectly. And to narrow something down to three is so tough to do. 
Uh, five songs could have done it in a heartbeat. Uh, but it took a while because I'm going, hmm, do I do stuff that looks at the you know the comedy years because that was a really, really important time in my life. And there, there are certain songs, there are certain parody songs, stuff like that that I always you know, thought were really good. But, well, no, let's look for the stuff going, what what would be the most useful for somebody listening to this? I said, well, for me, here's here's how to get yourself out of shit. You know, that things, bad things will happen to you and bad things have happened to us all. And, and I'm living a really happy life right now. But boy, it took a while to get here. And, you know, you can you can get up and you can do, you know, you can survive more than anything else. And the magical thing is, is that songs can be a part of that. They can. And they, you know, both the songs helped me. You know, the, the General Arms of Eden helped that other woman from Canada and both the songs at the right time. Boom. Yeah, this isn't about you know the physical problems I'm dealing with right now. This is about attitude, and you know, it change your attitude, you'll change your life. Hmm. Was there a fourth song? Was there a near uh, near miss? Oh God, I'm trying to think. Of the, the fourth song, uh, "King of the Road," probably. Oh yeah. yeah for uh, spent a lot of time on the road. You know, uh, the old the old saying was for comics was that you start out doing the road, you end up the road doing you, and that ha- that's why why I left the road is I fell asleep driving. Uh, I was kind of like six in the morning. I'd been up all night partying like an idiot. And uh, so I'm driving. I had an 18-hour drive the next day to get to, to Clarksville, Tennessee. And I'm driving along six in the morning, uh, cruise control on, and I fell asleep. And luckily, there was a car behind me hit the horn. I woke up as I was heading into a, a concrete wall and swerved out of the way. Two or, more, two or three more seconds probably would have died. Uh, and I pull over the side of the road. You, know, you just had that adrenaline through shaking. And I was going – Oh, man, I, I, enough. This isn't worth it. This life is not worth it. And then everyone's going, but shit, I'm broke and I got to do this gig and I got six more weeks of, or six more months of work I've got to do because that's my job. Uh, I said, but after that, you know, I'm not taking any more books. But, but you know, I had to get in my car after all that and drive another 10 hours uh, to this gig, uh, dumping as much coffee as I can to keep myself going. And all that. I was going, what are you? What are you doing to yourself? Uh, you know, sit back and, and take a – Take a glance at Time this. to take another year off. Yeah, it really was going, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, what are you doing? It was fun. You know, it was fun, but you, you've come to the end of this, of the usefulness of this, and you're getting sloppy. And that's that's what kills us more than anything else, is getting sloppy. Yeah. Hmm. Um, we haven't really talked all that much about the different bands that you've listened to, like mainstream bands. Oh, yeah. I mean, w- was there an album that uh, you've spent the most time with in your <laughs> life? Hmm. I try. You know, uh, Rockpile. I probably played more than anything else. What's that? Uh, Nick Lowe, uh, Dave Edmonds, uh, English New Wave. They they did kind of a rockabilly, like a a retro rockabilly kind of stuff. Just love okay. their stuff. Nick Lowe and Dave Edmonds. That whole New Wave period of time. I always liked. Uh, you know, listen to a lot of uh, Springsteen, a lot of Grateful Dead. Some of saw more than a few Grateful Dead concerts. Uh, but my my musical taste really does tend to go more towards folk and, and more towards kind of eclectic uh, stuff. And uh, lately, a lot, uh, lot more uh, gospel, stuff like that, starting to get into that. Hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, you mentioned the, the band show, REM show, way back oh, yeah. in the day. Is there any other live musical performances that you've been to that topped that one? I don't know. Topped that one. It seems the best concerts I ever went to were free. <laughs> I know right. I mean, except for the one that, that my wife took me for Dave and Tracy and Dave Carter, Tracy Grammer. Uh, but, you know, I saw it for free. I saw Devo at the band show. It was another great show. Talking Heads. It was just one of these amazing shows and all these, these great free music you're out in the lawn and these wonderful bands not realizing the time. Wow, these are going to be really, really big things. These are going to be great moments. Uh, I think some, one of the, did you see The Dead? You said you listened to The Dead. Yeah, I saw The Dead a couple of times. Uh, you know. did, did you ever travel with them like those that did? No, I never did Never did two concerts in a row. Okay. No. But, you know, probably the person that I listened to the absolute most is Warren Zevon. Huh. You know, I, I think back and I go, who do you listen to? Oh, oh, yeah. You know, when I look at my playlist, it's almost all Warren Zevon. Hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, when was the last time you bought music that had a physical form? Uh, Book of Mormon. Uh, no, physical form? No, physical form. Physical form. Oh, crap. Uh, oh, God. It was probably a cassette. Oh, <laughs> really? Off. Yeah. It's been a while. You know, it's funny when, when uh, Napster came out. And uh-huh. I, I was at uh, Penn State. Uh, and Penn State was way ahead of a lot of colleges with, with networking stuff. And so we had pretty high-speed networks quickly. So when Napster came out, I just went wild. I remember getting no sleep for about two days and grabbing everything I could. I remember <laughs> exactly where I was when I learned of Napster. Really? It was on the campus of Florida Gulf Coast University. Wow. Like it was, I, it was over by like Academic Building 2, they used to call it. And I overheard some people talking and I asked them what they were talking about. Wow. And, yeah. Well, was, that, but they probably hadn't filtered it either so you could go right through the – 
Uh, university network. Oh well, no, I would just I was I, I was doing it from home. Oh. I I was not on campus. Uh, but of course, we erased all the files afterwards. Yes, of course. <laughs> um, okay, well, Sam, we're pretty much to the end of the road okay. here with this. Um, uh, do you have any final thoughts? Or no? Wait, first, do you have uh, uh, any music that you'll avoid listening to? We got to get that out of there. Music you will avoid listening to. Songs, something that comes on that you'll go nope for any reason. Oh, God, it's hard. Um, Individual artist, I'll probably do that for like R. Kelly. I'm sorry, but we'll not listen sure. to anything by okay, R. Kelly. Fair enough. Uh, you know, I draw the lines on that, but I, I'll, I'll probably listen to about anything for a while. Just go, what what is this all about? I mean, uh, I, I know that I'm more auditorily based than anything else, so I'll, I'll listen to sounds that'll drive other people crazy just for like, what, what's this going on here? Yeah, yeah. Uh, static. I can listen to static and find patterns. It drives my wife crazy. So any any type of music, any type of auditory experience, I'm usually right in for. Okay. Uh, can you recommend three people who you're going to have listen to this, who you think we might want to try to get as a guest mm. on this? Uh, my wife, Mary. Definitely Mary. Okay. She, Dr. Walsh. Hopefully not talking about me. As well. uh, you know, a guy that you have to meet is a guy named Tim McBride, the saltwater cowboy. Okay. He he ran the huge pot smuggling operation out of Everglades City for years. Got caught, did some jail. Now he's out, wrote a book. Uh, he's got uh, his own brand of medical marijuana in Oklahoma now and stuff, and he lives in Bonita Springs. He's, so he's local. Yeah, he's a trip. He, his book. I'm using his book as a textbook in my. Uh, oh weed well, class. he's on. He's he's a target. Tim McBride. I think I passed on a, a thing to him. I, I, yeah, he was interested in doing, it, but Tim is cool. Uh, Trying to think who else. Um, Boy, I, I'm drawing a complete blank. I know there are about thousands of people. Miles Mancini. Okay. Miles Mancini or Eric Otto, either one of those. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, we will reach out to them. You can help put us in touch with them. Some oh, combination thereof. Um, any final thoughts? This, Mike, I think is kind of really, really a wonderful thing. Just such a cathartic experience. I know putting it together, you're going in, – in a lot of it, going, how much am I going to disclose? Because my kids are going to be listening to this and going, OK, kids, guess what? Dad was an alcoholic. He's not anymore. <laughs> or he's recovered now. Huh. Well, thank you so much for doing Thanks, it. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate it. We make this podcast in the studios of WGCU Public Radio at Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers, Florida. Richard Chinqui is co-creator and producer. Tara Calligan is online content producer. Our executive producer is Chris Duffus. Our theme song was created by Dave 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 Cowan and Stick Martin at Monkey House Studio in St. Pete. For this week's Parting Tune, we're going back a year to episode 28 of this show with FGCU poetry, literature, and writing professor Jim Brock. His first song story was about driving up in the mountains, pondering his existence and academic future while blaring the song Ruby Tuesday by Melanie Fair from her 1970 album Candles in the Rain. It's up in the mountains where there are these one-lane logging roads, and we would just get higher and higher in elevation, and we'd be driving at night, and so, you know, there wasn't any uh, uh, lines on the road to to mark where you would fall off and die. There weren't, there weren't any <laughs> right. guardrails or anything like that. Just this black, black, uh, beautiful, um, moonless, uh, Milky Way starred laden sky. So it was uh, like this heavens above us. It was just immense. And then below us was the was the uh, basin, uh, the desert basin, full of sage, and it kind of it kind of shimmered with the starlight. It was that black and. And, you know, there I, I realized, singing the song, that the whole math thing just wasn't going to do it. That um, uh, I, would, I would never take another math class again. I would, I, I would devote myself to trying to be an artist, whether that was going to be a writer or something else. I, I just knew that I would have to go in that kind of direction. And so this song by Melanie represents that to me. Keep listening. Next time on Three Song Stories. Oh, man. Well, I, and I, I wasn't sure, again, because I'm the host, I didn't want to curse a lot, so I'll try not to. <laughs> <laughs> Just see, Murp. <laughs>